1: Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by the Witness, a Black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at BurnsClan. Follow at your own risk. And joining me today, I have a very, very special guest. And I'm not gonna say this is your typical guest. I think this is this is family here. And it's kind of surreal that she's on the podcast because we've talked about her before. She's written in um, about some of her personal experiences, and now we have the privilege of working alongside of her. Of course, I'm talking about the Reverend Doctor Shannon Polk. Shannon, how are you doing? I'm doing good, doing good. How are you? Know, you? Sh- What's happening? I'm I'm doing well. You know, I should mention Shannon is, of course, the executive director of the Witness. Foundation, and we're getting ready to get into some of your background and your story. But how exciting is it that we're able to work together? This is really exciting. Oh, to this
2: me. is fun. This is this, <laughs> this is fun stuff right here. It's good to work with good people. And as I told them, I'm so excited to be someplace where I can be fully black and fully Christian.
1: Yes, there is something special about that. Now, for those who are who are unaware of who you are, I think a lot of people know you. But for those who don't know you and are unfamiliar with some of your story. Who is Shannon Poe? Can you give us the background of how you got to this place? Sure. Um, So I'm
2: from Flint, Michigan. You know, a lot of people heard about us. We had a little water situation a little bit ago. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where I was born and raised. And I think growing up in Flint, we sit in the shadow of um, lots of philanthropic dollars. So you grow up having kind of an awareness of what that means to give. And then I grew up in the Black church. Right. Um, you and I have talked before about the fact that my grandfather, my paternal grandfather was a superintendent in Church of God in Christ. Right. Uh, my maternal grandmother was Baptist, part of the National Baptist Convention, and my mother was a part of the CME church. So I always joke with people and say, growing up, I learned how to, you know, stand up and sit down and kneel. I could moan at the altar, you <laughs> run around till we hit a wall. I can do that too. You just got to tell me what kind of service it is, you know.
1: Listen, they don't understand the the varied nature of the Black church tradition. They have no idea.
2: Yes, yes. So, you know, growing up in an environment that really celebrated what it meant to be Black, right? Growing up in the Black church, the cadence of Black preaching, the the love that is in our music that inspires us to move on and keep on despite the odds and just Mm -hmm. seeing that faith walked out by my mother who I don't think I ever missed a day of seeing her pray before she went to bed, right? Just this walking out of faith is not something that we do on a Sunday, but it's how we live every day. And so for me, that's just, That's just how we lived, you know, someone passes away, you know, and in our community growing up, that meant, oh, we got to, we got to make some cakes and take them down to the church. We got to drop off some food at so-and-so. Oh, so-and-so got um, evicted from their house. So we're going to go stand on the curb and make sure nobody steals their stuff. Right. Mm, You know, charity looks so many different ways. So-and-so got a child that's sick. So we're going to bring some stuff because her husband is also in the hospital and she can't get Mm -hmm. everywhere. You know, Mm. watching how we show up for one another, how we give out of our, even sometimes our lack, but we share because we're like, it could be me. Mm. And so having all of that, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be able to go to college, fortunate enough to be able to have an opportunity to work in philanthropy. So when this came about, I was like, wait, you mean I get to say racial justice and nobody's going to be upset? (laughs) <laughs> I can say Jesus is Lord and nobody's going to be, oh, yeah, sign me up for that one. That's, yeah, wow. that's, that's that's good work right there. Because the difference between the Black church and the evangelical church is we have never had the luxury of being able to turn away from justice.
1: Oof, come on.
2: It, come on. I mean, that's just, that's our beginning and our ending. It was those songs that were sung by enslaved people in a field that have carried us over, Right. I mean, my grandfather's grandmother was a slave. And so to understand how I literally am her her wildest dream. Could she have imagined in Mississippi receiving freedom that just a few generations later, one of her descendants would be able to get an education, be able to be married publicly, right? All of these things that we just... People just think are normal, but they were not our norms in this country. And so being able to carry on what I believe are the fruit of her prayers and even mm. the fruit of prayers of my grandparents that came through Jim Crow. Yeah. You yeah. know, that lived. I mean, my parents could not drink from water fountains in Mississippi. <laughs> not somebody else, my parents.
1: Yes. 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 That That is, oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> you took me you took us there a, uh, asap. You just took us there. I think that is so powerful because I think a lot of us don't sit in this reality of, of where we came from and we don't sit in this reality of how different we are. And that ethic that you're mentioning is the same exact thing that I experienced in my life, you know. I can't think of of a time when my mother when she was washing dishes wasn't singing obnoxiously loud to the <laughs> Lord and speaking in tongues and you know crying out to God and no matter what she was facing and sometimes I knew, sometimes I didn't know that she used that time as communion with God. I can't think of any time that someone close to us passed away that we didn't take a car by or bring some food or put some money in their mailbox. Like all these types of things that were normative for us and it's not like we had a lot and it's not like we were overflowing with money, but when your neighbor is struggling, when your brother or your sister is struggling, there's just this sense of communal responsibility. And so now that generosity that you're seeing play, you know, you're growing up in and you're, you know, you're you're seeing played out around you in your young age, now you're able to lead an effort of philanthropic generosity. Now at the Witness Foundation. Can you talk a little bit about how important it is? for you to be able to to be in that space and to be able to serve Black Christian leaders? You know, I think so often
2: in the field of philanthropy, Black folks were asked to not be as vocal about racial issues because the money was Mm -hmm. primarily coming from white donors. Yeah. And they were setting the agenda. And that agenda, as we know, because of white fragility, oftentimes they didn't want to talk about these issues. Well, let's just talk about education, you know, because if we just make sure kids can read, then we've got it. Well, there's a group of kids. The part of the reason they can't read is because they don't have enough food. So we got to address food security. And then we got to address the fact that, well, mommy and daddy didn't have a job. That's why there's nothing on the plate. The reason why Mm -hmm. they didn't get hired is because there were some um de facto laws regarding who was going to get hired into those facilities. And so those people living in that part of town were not going to be hired at the place where they could afford to feed their children. So no, I can't just talk to you about education. I have to get at the root of the systems that are creating injustice. And so when you have Black people working in philanthropy that can speak to that, and then also speak to the church. So often, you know, we have our, um, evangelical brothers and sisters that are saying, well, you know, we don't want to talk about, um, all we need is Jesus. Let's just talk about Jesus. Well, you know, I grew up in the CME church and we were told nobody wants to hear about your Jesus if they're hungry. You feed them first, Mm. then you give them the gospel. They can't hear you over there growling their stomach. And so what we do in this space is we help people understand the intersection of our faith which says faith without works is dead. Quit talking to me about how amazing your Jesus is if he cannot show up in my world. And then we show up, we show up and we equip and we help. And what makes it so special is that we look like the people that we're helping. Hmm. Hmm. I have been in churches where when you look at their wall, when they talk about missions, it's all of these little black and brown faces that are being helped by white folks. And yes. I said, what that does, it creates a message that we are not in a position to be help, be one of the helpers, but we are, and we always have been. Mm-hmm. And we need to change that narrative that we're not just the recipient of resources, but we are the giver
1: as well. Hmm. That is, that is so helpful because I think for many people they're not drawing the correlation. This is something that we just typically don't talk about. Okay, we are the recipients of help and you assume we need help. Like there's just this mentality. Okay, you assume we need help. And it's true that many of us are in situations that we wish we weren't in and we wish we could be in a better, more advantageous position. But the reality is we we are blessed. <laughs> and many of us compared to our, you know, people in other spaces we're blessed and we're overflowing in blessings. Um now compared to some of the, you know, top 1% or 5%, of course it's different. But we are in a position to be helpers. Can you talk a little bit about how money moves differently in black spaces versus white spaces cuz you're saying there's a giving, but when it comes to raising money, I didn't realize this until I joined up with the witness years ago. You know, I assumed that there was a budget for certain things. I assumed that people would want to give in certain ways. I assumed that if the work we were doing was important or if the podcast was good or if the blogs were helpful and insightful, if the events were, were really you know, inspiring for people that people just automatically just give, that there would always be money available. But my work in church and my work in The Witness has shown me that's just not the case. So how does money move differently in white and Black Christian spaces?
2: Well, I think the first thing, and
1: that's such a great question, I think the first thing we have to look at is the racial wealth gap,
2: right? Who has disposable income that they can use to be charitable with, right? So when we look in African-American communities, we see that we don't have the same amount of dollars, right, was compared to our white counterparts. Our white counterparts, it's nothing for them to get together and say, you know, we're just going to raise $5,000 for this charity. We don't always have the luxury and part of that is for a couple reasons. Number one, you know, in our communities when we have family members that are doing well, oftentimes they're helping to supplement the family members who are not.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> right?
2: So I'm giving to I'm giving to T.T. is going to give to help out with those book the books this month because you're going to college and I want to see you do that. Right. I'm helping out grandma because, you know, granny wasn't able to make that light bill this month. And I'm the one of the family that's got the better job. So I'm sending money back for that, even if I don't still live in the same town. And so our ability to give oftentimes starts at home because financially we are often so fragile. Yes. That's number one. Yes. It's not that we aren't giving. It's that we are often giving so much. We don't always have those dollars set aside for what I would call industry style philanthropy. OK. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that we're not a generous people it's that we're having to be generous in ways that our white counterparts are not because of the lack of generational wealth that was stolen from us through things like redlining, Jim Crow laws, mm-hmm. um, things just as simple as. Um, express ways yeah. going through Black communities and destroying the economic wealth that would have come through um, home ownership, right? Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. of those things have created a situation where almost every generation Black people have had to start over financially. Hmm. And so the thought of donating to world missions in this way, the thought of donating to some of these larger organizations that you see around, we don't have that history of doing it because we have not had the extra dollars to do so. Right. right. And oftentimes we've had to save those dollars for the crisis. As I mentioned earlier, the crisis of somebody being a passing away and them not having funds, the crisis of somebody having to move and getting to new housing. And so we have to make up the gaps in ways that our white counterparts don't. Yeah. And so what happens is that and you see this often where you'll see um, a young black person who is going into some type of um, faith based work and oftentimes they have to raise their own funds. And I had this a friend of mine tell me her story, you know, um, her white counterparts that were raising money. And I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. She was a young life missionary. Right and she was doing work in the, in the urban core, her white counterparts in the suburb could have one dinner and raise all their support for the year, that one night. Mm-hmm. And oh, my it my. would take her 12 months to come up with maybe 50%. Because when she was, the families that she was working with, the communities she was going into, they didn't have those extra dollars like that. They couldn't just mm-hmm. write the check for $25,000, $50,000, and just take care of it. And so it made it, it it was such a struggle. She actually stopped working for Young Life because it just simply was inequitable in the way that they were designing how she needed to raise funds. We see this in both world missions and home missions all the time for Black missionaries. We see this when you have Black people who have a vision to start an organization. You know, they've gone to seminary or they've gone to college with other friends that are interested in starting similar type of social justice organizations with a faith-based lens. And then their friends are able to raise money because they can go into their neighborhood. Their parents are going to ask their friends like, oh, yeah, we'll write some checks. Well, they may not have the same kind of their parents won't have the same kind of economic base. And neither will their parents friends.
1: Right. Right. So
2: then it becomes a challenge. And it's not that God hasn't spoken to them. It's that they simply don't have access to the dollars.
1: Yeah, you mentioned this idea of supporting someone, you know, when they go to college or supporting someone when, you know, they try to start a business or when they need help and there's this there was this moment after I graduated from high school. I remember when I graduated from high school, I didn't really know the game. So I didn't know you were supposed to get cards and money and people going to bless you with stuff. I just had no idea. And so the um, the check started coming in from church members. And I was like, what are they giving me money for? Like, I don't get it. You know, I just did not understand it. And so, that, I mean, it was everything from like, you know, $25, $50, $100. Like, they just give money. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what is this for? They're like, oh, this is for your graduation. And so I was like, huh, this is weird. And so after my graduation, um, my family had come in from Mississippi on my dad's side. And it was just a whole bunch of folks. I mean, it was probably 30, 40 family members and I was like, why are all these people here? Like this is important, but y'all could watch the tape. Like, this is like, what is going on? And they're like, you don't understand, like, this is big. Like when, when one person wins, everybody wins.
2: Uh-huh. And so
1: my father, you know, took me around to the hotel where he said they were staying. It was actually a surprise party that they had done for me. And um, you know, a bunch of church members, family members, et cetera. And then afterwards, I'll never forget it. My my dad's family sat down with me after everyone had left. And they were like, hey, we want to give you a photo album. And I was like, oh, that's incredible. So I was going, there. like, we want you to go through uh, the photos. And so I was going through the photo album. And I was like, oh, that's my dad. Oh, that's me back in you know, the day. And I flipped about probably three or four pages in. And, um, and I get emotional thinking about it. Because in the places where photos were supposed to be, they put money in each of the spots where photos were supposed mm-hmm. to be. And, um, and I was like, what? And then, like, nah, keep turning, and so the dollar increments got bigger. Mm-hmm. And um, every time I, I, I turned, and I was like, "Yo, why did y'all do this?" I seen where they lived, and it's not like they were all poor. Mm-hmm. It was just I knew they were sacrificing. Like I knew they were sacrificing. Right. Um, and I get I get really emotional thinking about it because they believed in me so much. Um, they just believed in me so much that they were like, "We're gonna put this. We're gonna put if if it's ten dollars." You know, your aunt from Ohio gave fifty dollars, and I know she has a special needs son, mm-hmm. and I know how much she doesn't have. Like your aunt from, you know, Georgia, who's trying to support five kids, gave a hundred dollars. Like the people who couldn't be here, like they gave hundreds of dollars. I'm like, how is this? And it was just the ethic, like they they believed that much, and so I think. I didn't really mean to get on that point, but you mentioned it. I was like, oh man, I just remember that story because people don't realize how much we support one another in ways behind the scenes, how Mm -hmm. young people have emergency funds just in case their parents pass away or just in case their parents need anything. It is money they'll never touch for themselves because they're like, man, if something goes south with my parents or with my family, I want to have money to support them because they might not be able to get money quickly. Um,
2: and so, yeah, I mean, you think about the scene from in the beginning of the movie Hidden Figures, where yes, you yes. know they come and they say, "We know this baby is bright. We want to help. You know, we're going to support you." There's always been this sense of communal giving, right? You know, uh, think about the times that I remember being in college and getting what we used to call them Pentecostal handshakes, where somebody knew, oh, this baby didn't drove no. to church on, the, on, on with our with our car on E. You know, let's get our enough money, get gas to get back to the dorm. Right. You know, um, those kinds of things. We've yeah. always done that. What we haven't always done is very deliberate, intentional, and planned giving outside of our ties and offerings. Yeah. That that's we so- always done beyond just family. Mm-hmm. And by family, I'm including, you know, our local community, because that's family right. too. That's my that's that's my play uncle, you know, that's you know, my cousin, that's not really my cousin, but you know you my cousin. You know, beyond that piece of it, right? We haven't always done that, and so then, what does it look like to be intentional about that too?
1: Yeah, and that's the question. And, and before we get into that, I just want to take a quick break here and let it breathe while I compose myself. I need to compose myself. There's so much that Shannon is is unlocking on the inside of me. I hope she is for you as well. So we'll pause for a word from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back here on Past the
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and certificate programs. Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit.
1: And we're back with the executive director of the Witness Foundation, Shannon Polk, right here on Past the Mic. Uh, Shannon, you know, you have unlocked so many things just in that first segment, talking about the pain of, you know, a lot of people not having the same access to things, but also the power of us being able to help one another. When you think about Black Christian leaders and you think about the idea, the mission of the Witness Foundation in the, in the weeks and months leading up to the joint justice conference last year when Jamar was bringing up this idea of the witness foundation to me i remember thinking i don't know like what what is this like i you know i'm the type of person and jamar will joke about this i'll I'll gas you up i'll be like yeah go do it like you got it you know but i was just kind of like man well, what does this actually mean and why is this actually important and he said well basically the movement needs money <laughs> like the movement needs to be funded like the movement needs people who are going to encourage and not just encourage with words, but encouraged with funds as well. And so as you think about that, how is the Witness Foundation different? And what does the Witness Foundation really seek to do?
2: You know, I was having a conversation with Jamar and he said something. I said, I'm going to write this down. This is good stuff right here. He said, change flows where money goes. Hmm. And what we're talking about, you know, what really inspired the Witness Foundation is this idea that here we have, you know, you And Jamar, two amazing Black Christian leaders trying to promote a conference, get this off the ground, share and explore. And what the holdup was, was trying to secure dollars. There was nothing about the message. (laughs) The work that you were going to do was going to change lives, change hearts. It wasn't just about promoting your voices. You guys were creating a platform to uplift all kinds of Black Christian voices, right? But you can't make the kind of change that you all want to make if you don't have the funding to do it. And so what the Witness Foundation seeks to do is to, number one, identify those Black Christian leaders, you know, uplift their voices, right? That's what the BCC has always been doing is uplifting those voices. And then we want to train those voices, you know, because one of the things that happens is that there are leadership development programs out there, but they cost $8,000, $10,000. Listen. Right? You know, it's This game,
1: listen, I got to say something about this (laughs) because there were a couple of cohorts, I wanted to join as a young pastor. And when I saw that price tag, I said, wait, what? Come through, what? $8,000 for a six-month thing where we meet once a month. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, how am I going to pay for this? Like, And how are you going like, to explain it to
2: Mother Jenkins and, 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 and Deacon Jenkins on the front row talking about something? This, what, this, this boy had lost his mind.
1: Um, he going <laughs> to go and sit with the white folks. i in... <laughs> going to sit with the white folks in Ohio. for? I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> And so we don't
2: always have, so, so then the cost becomes pro- becomes prohibitive and then we're not able to gain the same kind of training. And so then what happens is that we're doing some of this work, but we don't always have the right foundation, right? So we may not know about board development. We may not know about fund development. We may not understand all the legal ramifications. So then we make mistakes. people like, see, we told you we couldn't trust with that money. Well, you can trust me with the money, but how come I didn't get the same training? How come I didn't get the same support, not just on the front end, but all the way through? And so we want to make sure that we're providing the best of the best training to these leaders. And then we want to fund them. Let's be At, at the end of the day, we want to put dollars in their hands. Yeah. One of the things we talk about is if you really honor my humanity, If you really honor the Imago Dei in me, then that means you have to trust me with the same money that you trust with all these, that you trust these other white evangelical organizations with. Hmm. Come on. Because you can't say, okay, I believe in what they're doing around black Christian work. And I see that they're both Christ centered and they are black serving. They love Jesus. They care about people. And then write me a check for $2. Right.
1: Right. Because
2: right. where your heart is, that is where your treasure will be, also. And you yeah. are telling me that, and you, we see this all the time. There is, and so what we talked about that other time was this idea of philanthropic redlining.
1: So, what yes, you talk kind of, about this because that was a that was mind blowing for me when I heard that.
2: Okay, so organizations like the Association of Black Foundation Executives and um, places like Bridge Band, people that do this kind of. Uh, report and study all the time in the philanthropic and nonprofit space. They've been doing reports where they are finding that philanthropic dollars, looking at the sector as a whole, overwhelmingly go to white-led organizations. Mm. Even when there are similarly situated black-led organizations that are serving the same population, people would rather fund a white person who's working in the black community than a black person working in the black community.
1: Hmm. Now, wow. A white person working in the black community versus a black person working in the black community.
2: Uh-huh. When you see, and so wow. oftentimes what happens is that boards of directors in those organizations are like, okay, well, we better get that white ED. We better do this because we want to make sure we can get the work done. Not because there isn't a black person who's qualified. Wow. Hmm. And so what we're talking about, you know, everybody's like, oh, we want to dismantle white supremacy. Will you do that by shifting where the dollars go. Yeah. You do that by yeah. saying, we trust Black leadership. We're going to invest in Black leadership. It's not enough to just have somebody come to your conference. Are you paying them the same thing that you're paying the other speakers?
1: Yeah, let's talk about that because that is so important for people to understand this equity side of things where, you know, people ask you to do things for exposure. Right. Like people ask you to do things because, oh, well, so and so will be there, or look who you'll be in front of, or I'll set you up with a coffee with this person afterward. Or many of the things that those of us who speak on a regular basis, we look around and we're like, well, well, is this equitable? Are you is the same thing being extended to all of the speakers or all of the leaders or all of the workshop facilitators? And all of the hosts and the MCs and all these other things that I think people just don't comprehend and process. And so as as we take a look at that and as we think through that, why is it important for Black Christians to have the hard conversations about equity and to know the game, so to speak, even as they're in these Christian spaces? Because right now
2: we live in an age, and this is what um, one of our team members Shalisa said, and I thought it was so good. She said, we live in an age right now where to be both Black and Christian is literally scandalous. Hmm. And so when, you, when we are present and we are vocal and we are speaking prophetically into these spaces, it is critically important that people remember that the worker is worthy of her hire, his hire. Yes. Why yes. would you attempt to say, well, you know, we're going to support everybody when you already know how the racial wealth racial wealth gap is playing out. If we really want equity, then you're going to look for ways to support those black voices that you're trying to lift up. Don't tell them, well, you know, after you paid your way here and you pay for your lodging, we'll give you $2. What? I don't, I, mm, that doesn't make sense to me when I think about it from an equity, through an equity lens. And so the question that I have been posing to people is, what are you willing to do to step into that gap what are you willing to invest in to be that person saying you know i recognize that this situation up to this point has been inequitable and this is what i'm willing to do this is where i'm willing to put my dollars this is the stake i'm willing to put into the ground and say you know enough is enough Mm -hmm. because we know that that's what jesus would do because, I, you know, I always have to go back to that. It's like, you're not just doing this because, oh, this seems like the trendy thing to do. Oh, no, 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 no. We live according to that word. Yeah. What yeah. Is, I, I would challenge people to ask, what is God asking you to do? What is mm. he asking of you right now? Because yes. I think we're not spending enough time listening for the still small voice. I had a professor in seminary. And I love this when he said it. I was like, oh, yeah, you're going to be my doctoral advisor, <laughs> <laughs> a white South African man. And he said, I have I grew up in the white Pentecostal church in South Africa. He said, you know, that meant we believed in speaking prophetic words. He said, but not one time did I ever hear a prophetic word about the sin of apartheid.
1: Hmm. My mama. OK,
2: does that mean that God my, not my, my. speaking? What that meant was that your culture trumped what God was trying to say and do. And so we're seeing that people are like, oh, I'm giving. But are you giving with the heart of God? Are you yes. giving to the things that are on his mind and on his heart right now?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And are you open and willing to listen? Because he may up in your apple cart.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is... That is powerful. Let's get into the practical side of this though, because I don't think people realize just how far this goes. So I want you to talk about the Witness Foundation, but before you even talk about the Witness Foundation, I just want to talk about it from the Black Christian Collective side. Number one, we're so excited to be working with you under the umbrella of the Witness Inc. We're so excited to be working as two organizations really with one voice, which is speaking to the expanse of Black Christian tradition in different ways, in both powerful ways. Um, And so from the Black Christian Collective side, being the president of the organization and making decisions over the past couple of months, I realized just how powerful it is and important it is to have funds to be able to do things. Um, One of my friends uh, David Bailey, who runs an organization as well. He's like, man, money is like oxygen for an organization. Like it helps it breathe, like it helps it think clearly to be able to do the things that are necessary. And so when I heard that, I was like, you know, it's so Im- important because when you think about staff, we think about the little things that nobody would perceive podcast hosting, um, down to web hosting, down to equipment, down to office space, all these things that people just don't understand. They're like, okay, well, I'm just paying for you to opine. No, when you think about opining, what we're recording on right now, the the mics that we're recording with, the cameras that we use for any announcements or special videos or commercials, the editing, all of that, everything takes money, even to get in front of your faces on social media. like That takes sponsorship dollars and ad space and all these things that people just don't know. And we haven't even started talking about salaries, right? Like mm-hmm. getting paid for this work, you know, mm-hmm. which... Most of us, you know, don't get like a significant mm-hmm. salary to get paid for this work. Um, or if anything, you know, doing it for free, just doing it out of the love of the work. So I know for, for our sake and for our organization, it is of the utmost importance that we're funded as as best as we possibly can be. But when it comes to the Witness Foundation, your mission is so different and your mission is so unique. And I want you to share that mission because and the practical nature of what these dollars go to. Because as we talk about the campaign, I want people to be clear with what the Witness Foundation is seeking to do and what how it's going to change lives, black the lives of Black Christian leaders.
2: Sure. So you know, growing up in growing up in the Black church, one of the first things I learned was that the gospel is free, but the lights cost. Come on, <laughs> you know, you got to pay for the carpet, Hello. you got to pay for the pew, you got, to, you know all of this costs. So, you know, what does this look like? And you really described it in your conversation with David, right? You know, you're doing all this work, but sometimes doing the work that process can get suffocated because you don't have the oxygen or the financial freedom to focus on the vision. Mm -hmm. And so what we, our first project, if you will, first program is the witness fellowship. We are looking for five people in our inaugural cohort, and we are going to provide each of these individuals with $50,000 each year over the course of two years. It's unrestricted funds for their organization. They can use it for whatever they need to. And the thought is when you don't have to constantly worry about where your next check is coming from, you're probably in a better position to then have what Howard Hendricks referred to as think time. The critical time to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear and then implement. You have time then to attend the trainings. You have time to be mentored. We're going to provide each of those individuals with a mentor and we're going to give them executive coaching sessions. Wow. And they will receive very specific nonprofit training on how to be the best nonprofit leaders they can be. Um, because we know that with the, that we need to equip and we need to train yes, the same way we do in the church. This is about equipping and training people for the work of the ministry. And it doesn't matter if they're working on the issues of criminal justice, food security, education, what we're looking for, or are, are people that have a heart to serve the kingdom who identify as black and who are committed to change injustice.
1: Wow. That, and, and I think especially the idea of training and the idea of mentorship and equipping is just such a game changer. I mean, I can't tell you how much, and Jamar says this all the time, we're trying to build a plane while we're flying it. I can't tell you how much that's the truth <laughs> in, in the case of The Witness. I can't tell you how much that's the truth in the case of many organizations that I know who are doing phenomenal work but didn't have a manual, didn't have a roadmap. They just saw a need in our community and said, hey, if it takes my money, if it takes you know me just basically getting in-kind donations, if it takes me just trying to learn how to edit myself, like if it <laughs> takes me trying to learn how to be a, a graphic designer myself, like I'll do it. Um, and so the ingenuity has produced such brilliance, but at the same time, we need that think time. And so even thinking about the mentorship and the training that's just so exciting. So, when you say really anybody who's involved in in anything that would promote the cause of racial justice, you know, for black people, for black Christian leaders, you know, who do you have in mind? Like who are the people that you're thinking about? Like is there an ideal type of person? Because I think some people are going to be like, "Well, I don't know if my, you know, my particular cause is worthy of the Witness Foundation or worthy of the Witness Fellowship."
2: Okay, so the first thing we got to do for our people is we got to stop. Everybody else is going to discount your idea. I need you not to discount it before it even has wings to fly.
1: Whew. Yikes.
2: <laughs> I mean, I need you not to take yourself out of the game before you even have a chance to, to score. So please don't think that, oh, my idea, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Part of that is because of the racialization that we have oh, been force in this country to always mm-hmm. diminish our ideas. And I will say this. If that man with no experience could sit in the highest seat in the land uh, and do all talk that about he's it, done, I'm pretty sure your idea is okay. Come on, I'm pretty sure come at least worthy of a conversation. The next thing I'm going to say, and this happens because so often for black men and black women, we've not had the out of girls and out of boys. We've not had people come alongside and say, "I yeah. see you're brilliant." What you just described, I mean, my grandmother having to go to the Koja convention, not always having the money that she needed. She learned how to make her own hats and sew her own suits. Right. Mm-hmm. We know how to do that. We're very resourceful people. That same ingenuity that you put towards your idea, I guarantee you it's worth something. If, and even if it doesn't get funded, at least test it. Try it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to say that there is an ideal Because we don't know what's out there. We don't know what (laughs) is stirring, what God has been stirring. And so I don't want to be a filter for that. What I do want to say is, if you have the vision and you have the passion, then we want to see if we can provide you with the funding and the training to make that a reality. We are looking for um, projects that have been around for at least a year. Um, if not a year, um, at least um, something that is fairly tangible. And by that, I mean, you know, maybe you recently got hired by organization, but um, you maybe you haven't worked there very long. And so you're like, look, I need all of this training and support. You're the right person. Let's say you've been working with an organization for maybe three to five years, but you feel like, man, I feel like there's so much where we can go, but I spend so much time, you know, begging, it feels like sometimes for spare change. And if I could just have a little bit of freedom, I can really make something happen. We're looking for you. Um you may say, well I work in a predominantly white organization, but and I'm the lone black voice. We definitely are looking for you. <laughs> come on, come we on. We know
1: what it's like
2: to be that one, that only, and we don't we want to be there to support you. Yeah.
1: No, that is so helpful. So we've been talking about this in the idea of the Will You Be a Witness campaign, and that's our our push. And so before I get to the Will You Be a Witness campaign, though, I do want to say officially, you still have time to apply for the fellowship. Am I correct, Shannon?
2: Yes, you have until January 5th. So you have a minute. If you have questions, I've been on the phone with people who have, just you said, I'm not sure if I got the right idea. By the time I get finished, they're like, oh my gosh, I can do this. I'm like, yeah, you can do this. You can wow. do this. But too often, we've not had that kind of support. We've not had that kind of support from people who look like us mm-hmm. to say, yes, my brother, you can do this.
1: Yeah. That's what I love about The Witness, Shannon. And, you know, I love that we try to do this on both sides of our organization because. You know, I, I've been telling people. I'm just, I'm just gonna throw this out there because I've been keeping it private. You know, like in my private conversations with people, like, "Yo, tell your friends, tell your friends." I'm like, "Listen, I'm, I'm open for business. Like, I'm trying to invest in black people. Like, for real. Like, black Christians who want to do that podcast but felt like it was, I don't have an idea or I'm not good enough on the mic. Like, black people who are like, "Well, I don't know if I have anything to say. Like, will anyone read my words?" Nah, we want you to. Be a columnist. Nah, we want you to be a podcaster. We want you to join the collective. Like all these things I think are so empowering. And I think about how my life would have been completely different. And and and, and in truth, like I did have people like my family and my parents and the people around me who did spur me on. But what would my life have, have been in my younger years if I had somebody who said, nah, whatever you feel like you, you need to do, let's talk about that. And then let's dream together. And then we want to fund you for the dream. We want to fund your dream. We want to give you money for your movement. Um, I have no idea what my life would have looked like. And so I love the fact that at the Witness we're just telling people, "Man, come on! Like you, you belong here too.
2: There's a space for you." And so you know, we're doing that inaugural cohort. Um, We hope to announce the five early next year, and. In addition to that, we're going to be raising funds to endow this work. And so for the campaign, you know, the campaign is, will you be a witness? You know, every movement has had people to testify what God is doing during that time. And so we're asking people to come alongside us and be a witness to this. We feel that this is the next civil rights movement. This is it. We saw this earlier this year. With everything that surrounded George Floyd's murder, right? We're seeing it now. I mean, ooh, I can't <laughs> I you talk about feeling emotional. I'm feeling emotional reading about the young man who was executed last hmm. night, right? I'm feeling some kind of way about the next Jacob that was on his way home from Subway, right? I'm feeling I'm feeling some kind of way. Um, we're still in it. And so this is your opportunity. To, again, plant a stake in the ground to say, I am going to be a witness to what God is doing in the earth during this time. I am going to be a witness to the church's response, the correct response to racial justice, because I want to see the church revelations happen right now. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, that's still in the book. Yes. And so yeah. I'm not just going to, as we say in my community, I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to be about it. I'm going to put dollars behind it. I'm going to invest in it. Yeah. And I have, I've always, and, I, and I'm just going to say this. So I've always been yeah. charitable. Mm-hmm. Always. And I make it a point to give, whether I got real money or I got 15 cents. Um, because I just feel like it's important to give. Mm-hmm. It's important mm-hmm. to give to things that matter. And it's important to give to things I think are in the heart of God. And I believe that God cares about seeing his church impact the world without prejudice, Mm -hmm. without Mm -hmm. the barriers that we see imposed in this nation because of race. I believe that is his heart. I believe he's raising black Christian leaders up because he wants us to speak prophetically. Into what's happening, not only into the church but into the world, and He wants us in various sectors speaking that truth.
1: Yeah, Shannon, that's so good. I'm so glad you mentioned, you know, the young man Brandon Bernard who was um, executed uh, recently. And thinking even through that, like the fact that the in, the criminal justice system is so unjust, and injustice is still persisting, it is so important for us in this moment. Um, to, to prioritize Black funding. So we encourage you to give. We encourage you to give to the Will You Be a Witness campaign. The Reverend Dr. Shannon Polk, thank you so much uh, for joining us. The Executive Director of the Witness Foundation. You dropped some bombs today. Thank you so much for being here on past the Mic and for encouraging people to go to thewitnessinc.com to give to the campaign, y'all. You still have time and apply to that Witness Fellowship as well. Shannon, thank you so much.
2: Thank you.